We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation football podcast powered by Campus Insiders with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp. Oh, now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome to episode 19. This is our post-signing day wrap-up or signing day wrap-up. I'm uh, James DiVirgilio alongside Alan Williams. It's good to be here with you guys again. This show, just like last show, is going to be different than our previous shows. We're obviously not talking about Gator football. We're talking about Gator recruiting. And it was a very interesting class that we signed yesterday. Let's talk about, just right at the top, our overall feelings in the class. Alan, what are your thoughts, feelings, and reactions to the class we signed for 2016? I'm feeling pretty encouraged by it. I think that there was a lot of really uh, important things that the coaching staff got done in terms of fitting. To really see Europe, go when others don't. And fly there with Aer Lingus. Our European sale is full of amazing off-season deals to over 20 European cities like Paris, London, Amsterdam and Dublin. Book today at aerlingus.com. Needs for this class of, um, you know, a lot of important positions of need were filled. And I think anytime you're looking at a class, that's got to be one of the factors and I don't know, even though signing day was a little up and down, I think overall, I I think it's a pretty solid class. I'll say that. What about you? Yeah, it seems like signing day was a disappointment because we got one out of our three, but we didn't have 15 guys on the hook here. This was in a class where we had a lot of guys. We were waiting to see what they did. But overall, the way I follow recruiting, and I think all of you out there that are, are friends with me know this, is sort of not at all until the end. And then I catch up and find out what's happening. Um so for me, I had a fun time on signing day and the day before talking with all my friends, and it was very polarizing even then with their reactions. And so I think my overall feelings are somewhat muted and neutral. It feels like this was a class that achieved the transition the coaching staff wanted. So I'm going to give it high marks for saying they accomplished what they wanted to do. This was not a class where they were setting out to get 15 five-star prospects. They weren't shooting for that. So I'll give them credit for that. On the flip side, I understand the concern some people have with regards to the fact that we didn't sign a bunch of elite athletes, and there's a concern that maybe McElwain cannot recruit at the level that LSU, Alabama, um, even Mark Richt possibly, and then obviously Jimbo Fisher at FSU can, and there's a real concern amongst Gator fans for that right now. We can't answer that question now, so my overall feeling is positive, trending in the right direction. There are a few things I probably wished went differently, but we really transitioned to an offensive football team 
with this recruiting class. And as a fan who wants to watch some points be put on the scoreboard, I'm excited about that. Yeah, a lot of wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. Um, and so I don't want to overrate signing day. Some people live and die with sign day itself. I think this staff did most of its best work early on. You know, they were, you got all these guys to early enrollee, you know, did flip Tyree Cleveland on signing day, didn't get these other guys, which may have been a reach, you know, had a couple guys decommit, but that's always going to happen probably. So I don't want to like just judge the class on national signing day, like what happened during that day alone. Uh, And, you know, I think coming in, you know, I happen to realize that Mac and the staff are, you know, still new to the state of Florida in a lot of ways. And then as, you know, we hear from Blake that the state of Florida maybe wasn't like top notch this year. So they had some things that they were battling against, like some obstacles. Um, but I, I think Ogator fans probably, even if they're mixed feelings, it shouldn't be like gloom and doom. I don't think as some people are feeling. Yeah, I don't think it should be that. I mean, it, it's a top 15 class on everyone's recruiting radar. And, and I, we're used to top five classes. So again, we understand. But we are we are transitioning from Urban Spread to Will Muschamp's defensive philosophy to McElwain's offensive philosophy. And we're offensive, like we've talked about before, in an SEC East that has gone defensive. So I like the transition that we're making. Um, and like you said, I think it's worth talking about for a second of how maybe each of us view recruiting. Everyone views it differently. For me, as an investor, I review, I, I really look at it as like an index. The players' names individually don't mean a lot to me because it's very, very hard to project how really one individual player will perform. But overall, the recruiting services are getting better and better in aggregate. So if you say, hey, you signed six four-star receivers and your other school signs two, it's more likely that you'll end up with receivers that can play at the next level compared to the other school. That I put stock in. And so I think you want your overall quality to be up. Secondarily, though, it's very possible that Jim McElwain is like a Warren Buffett of recruiting. And what I mean by that is it's value investing. He's going to look at a guy that other guys may rate as a three-star or a four-star, and he's going to say, this guy fits my scheme, my structure, my style. He's a smart guy. I think this guy is going to exceed his recruiting tag, which happens all the time. I'm not saying we're going to make a living off recruiting three-stars, but I think that you do have to give that merit. Some guys are very good at that, and Callaway is a perfect example of that. This time last year, people weren't talking about Callaway being what he was in, in, you know, in the SEC his freshman year. So if we can get a few of those guys to hit, it works. More importantly, I think we do want to see in the future our aggregate star quality continue to go up because that means you're going to be up there with the big boys of Alabama, LSU, Florida State. And even then, as a, as a closing sort of, hey, you know, word of caution, LSU pulls in a top class almost always. They've sent several phenoms to the NFL, and they have generally underachieved. So you really just don't win a national title by pulling in recruits. That's not how it works. Yeah, so it's a word of caution as well. Right. You can't win without the players. That's not possible. No one's done it. But you don't just win by signing a number two or three class. Oh, it's great. We won. It's over. We got this. Quarter. Yeah. And I think if you look at the way the recruiting went for a lot of these guys like Voshan Joseph, um, some of our corners, uh, that we were in on them really early and signed them when they were not highly rated prospects. And we saw that stock rise and you saw other schools coming in to try to poach these guys once their stock had risen. And we held on to most of them. So I think that's a sign that Mac and uh, his staff were evaluating very well in on some guys early. And that's an encouraging sign uh, for Florida fans. And, you know, I, I feel like there's a difference probably in top five and then where we're at in like maybe the 10 to 12 kind of range. But you know what? It's really not that much difference. Like 7 to 12 
is like very close most of the time. So it might feel better to be at seven if you're a fan, but that really isn't a big deal. I mean, you don't want to be in the twenties, but where we're at, it's not like, man, we're knocking it out of the park right now. This isn't a, tr- you know, a transformative transcendent class, but you know, I think if we had on all these ratings have been at like seven or eight, Gator fans would be feeling better. And there's really not that much difference between like eight to 12 or something like that. Yeah, that's a great point. There, there really isn't. It's it's the top five schools that separate themselves, and they're generally separated by top-heavy quality, which we're yeah, saying we Some need, of the elite guys. Yeah, we're saying we need to get into. We undersigned top quality. Whether that's good or bad this year is debatable, but there's no doubt we undersigned it compared to our competition. Of course, our competition has, has been the upper echelon of college football in yeah. the most recent sense. We're still there, but we have to be realistic. As Gator fans, we've been a, a struggling program compared to our standards for the past five years. And meanwhile, Florida State's winning titles and going, you know, like some absurd 47 and six record with Jimbo in the past four years. Bama's a juggernaut. Um, so they're entrenched in the state. They're entrenched in the Southeast. They're going to get higher quality guys than us. I think if McElwain has the year a lot of us hope he has this year, it it could be very interesting to see what kind of elite sure. guys we sign. And we will add to the point where more than 50% of our class is in fact four and five star guys. And that's what you want to be at Florida, but that doesn't happen overnight. Right. And so I, I do think we're kind of like, this should be like roughly the, the bottom of what we should do around this range, just because the state of Florida is so stocked with talent, every college program worth its salt recruits in the state of Florida. And there's state, there's guys from you are from the state of Florida in all over the country. If you look at their rosters. So, we should always be doing at least like solid. Um, I think you're right. If we continue to progress and like as a program and see more on-field results, then you'll see that reflective in some of getting some of those elite, elite guys into the program. We're back again with one of our favorite guests, Blake Alderman, senior recruiting analyst at rivals.com who covers the Gators does a fantastic job of doing that. All right, Blake, I'm going to jump right in. You know, kind of some mixed opinions on signing day. I I feel a little more op- optimistic than maybe James. Was signing day a win for the Gators? You know, I think it is a win. You know, I think that there are obviously some guys that they missed out on. Um, there's obviously some guys that even before signing day, uh, you know, just really didn't seem like they were trending in Florida's favor. But I think if you look into the context of the guys that they were going against on signing day, all three of them were out of state that they really had a shot with. The defensive end, Brian Burns, I mean, it was kind of a given fact it was FSU. But the three others, the Christians, Fulton, John Simpsons, and Tyreek Cleveland, Florida had to go out of state for these guys and go against the in-state schools. And, you know, they went one out of three. And, you know, I think that if you look at their wide receiver hall, I think Tyreek Cleveland is probably, um, you know, one of the biggest needs there. You know, obviously they could stay in another cornerback and an offensive lineman. But uh, I think if you look at the need for playmakers and someone outside of Antonio Callaway, Combined with the other guys they get and the fact that maybe a little under half of those guys are already on campus as early enrollees, I don't think there's really much you can you know complain about there. So I think it is a big win. So, yeah, ultimately maybe traded in some sense. Tyree Cleveland, offensive playmaker for Shavar Manuel, you know, defensive tackle. If you were the Gator coaching staff, would you have made that trade? You know, I don't think so. I don't think I would. You know, I, I'm not saying Tyree Cleveland isn't a you know, big get, but, you know, they have one defensive tackle committed compared to, you know, now five, uh, excuse me, uh, wide receivers committed. 
Um, you know, manual, you know, there's obviously, you know, they can, they're not really hurting for defensive tackles at this time. Uh, they have, you know, Joey Ivey's, Caleb Brantley's, uh, Kerry Clark's, uh, Jabari Zaniga from last year's one. Now there's still guys there, but, you know, I think if, if you look as far as the class numbers, you know, five wide receivers compared to your only defensive tackle, I just don't think you can make that trade. But, Tyree Cleveland is a special player. You know, I think he's going to make an immediate impact for Florida. So, you know, but, I mean, it's not, you know, a landslide kind of thing. But, you know, I think I would take the the guy that you don't have enough of. So we talked a little bit last week about the position groups and kind of where we were, um, why we signed a few offensive linemen this year and not a bunch was because we signed a bunch the year before. And then, obviously, defensive tackle, like you said, we're in a spot where this year we're probably going to be okay depth-wise. But we are, I feel like, under the numbers like you said definitely and i think that's somewhere that you can be uh, that that's one of the positions if i'm looking at their 2017 class um that that's one of the ones that i'm looking at is going to be a position i need to fill whether that be um one or two guys in the high school ranks or one guy from the juco rank in high school you know i think a juco would probably be their best bet but you know for sure they they definitely need to touch on that this year that's perfect and that was actually the question i was just about to ask is we know defensive tackle will be a spot and then looking forward what's another spot or two you think that's going to be a recruiting position of need for the 2017 class uh, you know, I think defensive backs are we one that they look there. You know, I think that missing out on Kristen Fulton, the guy out of Louisiana that committed LSU on signing day. Um, if you look at it, you know, it's not a slam dunk kind of thing, but, you know, I would probably wager my money now if I'm a betting man that if, if Tabor has a good season, he's probably going to go to the NFL. I think that's kind of a thing. So you lose Vernon this year, you might lose Tabor next year. I think they need to recruit their replacement. They need to recruit one of those – uh, you know, five-star, you know, top cover corners. You know, I think that that would be there. Defensive tackle, like I said. Um, I'm another person, too. Offensive line, I don't think you can take enough of them in the SEC. I think it's a, it's a you know, a line of scrimmage league. Um, they added a little bit of their numbers now uh, for this year, but you have David Sharp, who, you know, is, is kind of moving towards the upperclassman role there. So I think that you need to look for maybe a replacement at the tackle position. I think that tackle is one that if I'm looking along the line, that's the one that I need to hit the hardest. Um, you know, I think wide receiver, they hit well. Linebacker, they did okay there. They added some bodies. Um, but, you know, if, if you can take a top guy at linebacker, you take him for sure. Uh, but, you know, I think those right there are the ones that really jump out to me the most. Let me go back to Shavar Emanuel for a second. There's a story on ESPN.com today about basically him being a FSU commit the whole time and committing to Florida just to, I don't know, mess with Florida or relieve some pressure. Uh, do you have any comments on that? I don't know if you saw the story or not. I saw it, you know, I, for talking with Shavari, you know, he was a kid that, you know, he, he's kind of a little bit of a flaky kid, you know, you, you talk to him and, you know, yeah, he's committed and, you know, he's obviously still looking at other schools early on. I mean, I was really surprised early on that he wasn't already committed at this really early on before Florida staff was kind of pieced together. It, I mean, it seemed like he was destined to head there. Uh, Coach Rump was hired at Florida. They, you know, seemed to have a good relationship. I was a little surprised to see those comments, just from how, uh, in, like, you know, in touch he's kept with Coach Rump and like what he was saying to them. And, you know, Shavar showed up at the Under Armour game saying that he was ready to commit to a school and then committed to Florida. So I think if he was committed for, to told them in two weeks, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of things don't add up. At the same time, you know, you don't know what those conversations are like with coaches. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it could be. You know, that, That's one of the kids that I think that if, if a story came out like that, uh, I, I would definitely believe it. You know, but, I mean, I have no proof to say that, you know, it's absolutely 100% sure. But, you know, I, I am a little surprised when I read that, though. 
So sort of like zooming out and putting this all in context, um, you know, we obviously have listeners in the show that are all over the spectrum with regards to how much they follow recruiting. There seems to be a very polarizing effect with this class. From what I can tell, there are some people that are saying this is a great class. We have 12 early enrollees. Uh, That's going to be significant. It's the number one, quote, early enrollee class in the country. Those guys are going to be better than other guys that haven't gotten playing time. Um, you know, we addressed a lot of positions we really needed, and we had a phenomenal offensive class. So it'll kind of give us a, a pass. It's a transition class, if you will. Then people on the other side uh, seem to be citing what this team, this team speed kills article said today, which is that you know Florida has a blue chip problem. We're essentially under recruiting the four and five stars in comparison to Alabama, LSU, Florida State, Georgia, etc., and that is going to put us at a permanent disadvantage. Given sort of that range, what is your take on that? Do you feel like some of that stuff is valid or not valid? I mean, where where is it? Where What should we be feeling as Gator fans right now? You know, I think it, it, there's a lot of different ways to answer this question. And one that I can look at is just as far as looking from where the classes were ranked the last two years. Last year, obviously, was a crunch where, uh, you know, you filled a lot of guys in a little bit of a time. I think they're somewhere in the 20 range last year. This year, Rivals has them 14th in the rankings there. So, I mean, there's improvement there, you know, already. You look at the blue chip, like you say, where Florida's going out of state. This year, overall, the crop in the state of Florida was down compared to how it is. I really personally think the 2016 class overall, not even in the state, just nationally, I felt like the talent level was down. You have all these, you know, Rivals is one, 24-7, whatnot. You know, there are, there are services out there that rank all these kids. And for the most part, all of them have, you know, 25, 35 stars in the final rank. I don't really think there were – I think there was probably about five true five stars this year. I think overall it was a down year. You have where Florida's going now, the state. Uh, as I said, the state of Florida is down. T- 2017, I think, is going to be better. And I think that's where you'll see Florida hit in-state a little bit harder. Um you know, to be honest, too, I mean, FSU, how you name them, how well they've done, they should. You know, they're a playoff team. They uh, had a national championship the last couple of years. I mean, you look at Florida's last national championship in 2008. I mean, most of these kids now that are, you know, high school seniors, you know, 18 years old, I mean, most of them were like 9 or 10 years old when Florida last won a national championship. So I think if you look at that, you know, that kind of puts it in perspective, too. Um, they went 4-8. and eight. Uh, They were underachieving under Will Muschamp. Uh, there are a lot of holes there. So I think the brand is Florida. It's not quite what it used to be. But I think that uh, that McElwain is going to continue to build that up. His first year as a head coach, he wins 10 games. Uh, the numbers, as far as you look at the class, are getting better. Um, so I think, uh, you, you. I mean, they hired a guy from Colorado State. You know, I think in his first year, kids in the state of Florida, they aren't going to do their homework on a guy. They're going to see – Shiny, attractive, you know, what, what catches the eye. I, when I, even when I did my recruit reaction to a lot of these guys when uh, McElwain was hired, oh, wasn't he at Alabama? They register Alabama whenever he hadn't been in Alabama in a couple of years. So I think that if you look at that, it's going to get better. You know, he shows that the program is on the right track. He's selling early playing time in certain areas. Um, you know, he seems to be, uh, you know, pretty locked in on, you know, as far as, you know, offense goes. So I think that that's going to kind of help Florida where they haven't really had a lot of offense to look at in the last couple of years. So, you know, I do think it's in the right track. You know, do I think they're going to be, you know, the next Alabama to where they're signing back-to-back-to-back number one classes? No, not yet. Can they be? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, when you look at it and put that into perspective there, uh, you know, I, I think that just I chalk that up to the state of Florida just kind of being down. And, you know, Florida State is still going to be the attractive 
the fact that, you know, where their program has been at the last couple of years. But, you know, I don't know if that really answers, you know, your, your answer completely there, your question completely. But, you know, I think that there are a lot of different ways to look at it. And if I kind of go like I felt like I went a lot of different angles there, I think that just kind of a lot of answers in the one question there. So, well, yeah, let me, let's put it into perspective. Maybe this way, this one illustration might work. So if I asked you this time last year, what do you think the Gator recruiting class will be like as we sit here a year from now? Since everything has transpired, how would you feel about how it's gone down? You know, you're, you're, no, I think yeah. this is about as what I thought it would be. You okay. know, I think that, uh, um, you know, I knew heading in that they really wanted to hit early enrollees hard. I think they did that. You know, I think that how I said earlier, you know, they missed a lot of these, you know, a couple guys they wanted. You know, Nate Craig is one they missed out on that just didn't happen. Uh, you know, I mean, there were a couple others. I mean, uh, along the offensive line, they, you know, they wanted the the Landon Dickerson's, the Juwan Williams, like that. So they had to go out of state for a lot of these guys, and it's not a slam dunk, you know, that that they're gonna, you know, go to Florida. You know, I think that it's a good job on FSU's part to get those guys, but they had, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, fire on their trail already. You know, that, I mean, the the playoffs, these things like that, these things help in recruiting. Um, you know, Florida just got an IPS bill. You know, these things, these dorms, these these, you know, these pretty shiny things, like I said, these are things that needed to be added and that McElwain is just getting these things added now. These are going to help with recruiting. They didn't have these before. Now they do. That's good stuff. So all in all, the message from, from Blake is that we're going in the right it's direction. The right you would expect right us track. you would expect us to contend for elite prospects consistently beginning as soon as next recruiting season or the one after. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I'm okay. really looking at this class. I think this is where they start competing. Um, they've shown that in his first year, 10 wins, SEC championship, you know, he's got the IPS built, he's building things like dorms, you know, they just redid those, they're talking about the facilities, whatnot, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed these little things, but you know, the little graphics that Florida put out, and their videos they put out, these things have gotten a lot better, you know, the, the things like that, this is what an Alabama does, yeah, you know, uh, Alabama has a lot of these support staffer guys to help out in the recruiting offices, McElwain added a lot of those, so I think that it is, it's on the right track to be a program like Alabama. McElwain just has to continue to win. I think keeping a lot of the hires he has and a lot of the coaching staff, I think that was one of the problems with Muschamp was that it was, you know, a lot of coaching carousels there with his, his uh, coordinators and assistants. I think if he keeps the solid core of coaches that he has and he continues to win and add on to the little things on campus, I think they're on the right track. All right, let me ask you a little bit more about a couple of the guys in the class. Um, you know, this fall, 2016, who are some guys who might be kind of immediate impact guys? You know, I think the first guy who jumps out is the five-star. We have him on arrivals, the five-star, Antonius Clayton. Um, watching him at Under Armour going against a lot of these top guys in, in his rich, uh, respective graduating class, I mean, he has one of the quickest first steps, six foot four, 228 pounds he's coming in. He's played that rush defensive end. He's going to come in with a lot more meat on his bones than Alex McAllister did. So I think that if the staff can, you know, obviously get his head in the playbook, keep him in the weight room, uh, continue to add a little bit more weight and keep his speed that he has. I think he's a guy that can be really special. Um, Felipe Franks, I think, is another guy that uh, McElwain, he's supposed to be the quarterback whisperer, if you will. I think he's going to continue to help him develop. Uh, he's a six foot six kid, 215 pounds coming in. Um, he has a really strong arm. I think that they just really need to kind of touch up his, his touch on the ball. Uh, Chauncey Gardner is another one who's on campus. He's listed as a cornerback on most. I think his best is in the nickel. And I think with Brian Poole leaving for the NFL, I think that that's going to be where Chauncey can kind of slide in there and make an impact. I really like Brett Hedgie, too, the center. 
Um, I know that uh, Tyler Jordan and Cameron Dillard have handled the uh, center position so far. I mean that they've kind of, you know, taken reps there. I think Heggie is going to be a guy that, you know, at six foot four, three hundred and thirteen pounds. I mean, he's got the weight coming in. Uh, He was another guy that impressed me during Under Armour week. Um, One another guy that sticks out to me in the class too is Jeremiah Moon. He's a linebacker out of Hoover, Alabama. Uh, Hoover is a really respected high school. Um, He's uh, the thing with with Jeremiah, six foot four. He's tall, lanky. 210, he needs to add some weight on his, on his frame. I think if they can do that, he's a guy that can, you know, draw some comparisons. I think uh, Coach Collins said whenever he commented on the, the signees yesterday on signing day, he's a guy that reminds people of Curse, you know, and I think that's a guy that, you know, it's a pretty good comparison. That's a guy that, you know, if he can get the same production that he had, then that's going to be a pretty scary sight. And the other last guy, too, that really jumps out is Mark Thompson, the Juco running back, six foot two, 235 pounds. That's a grown man running at you. So let's put a grade. Let's put a Blake Alderman grade on this class. Scale of 1 to 10, what are you grading this class at? 7. I'm giving it a 7. Is that a solid that confidence? Class. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I think that I think it's a good class. You know, I think in some areas that they're, you know, great guys. I think acting a little bit on the elite guys. I think there's maybe, you know, one or two, three maybe elite guys and that will probably be my hit there because you think of just uh you know, even, you know, Muschamp was a good recruiter. Urban was a good recruiter. I think fans kind of get to the, you know, where they get used to having, you know, four or five, six elite guys a class. And that, that's not really the case here. But I think you have a lot of good guys mixed with a few elites. And some guys, too, that, you know, are some projects. But if they work out, I think they have a lot more upside there. So if you can have a lot of these guys, you know, it, it's kind of boom or bust on some. And I think if you can hit that boom, I think that, you know, these are guys that could become real contributors. All right, Blake. Let's let's give you one. Let's get one more grade out here. So next year when we're talking, we'll have we'll have a nice idea of where your estimate is. Grade what you think you are going to say next year at this time for our recruiting class. How many on a one to ten scale? One to ten scale. What do you what do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be an eight. You know, I think that an eight. You know, with uh with how the the state of Florida is is you know really kind of shaping up. Tampa, Orlando is is really talented. These are parts of the state of Florida where. Florida usually does very good. You know, I think that they can keep a lot of those guys and lock down the Tampas and Orlandos, kind of get down into where Polk County is and, you know, steal a couple of these guys from South Florida. Um, You know, obviously they'll have to go out of state for some. I mean, there's always a couple every there. But, you know, I think the areas that are good to the Gators are really easy for where Florida can go in and snatch a lot of these guys and and, uh, really kind of convince some guys and some, you know, you can come make an impact. Um, we're a couple of hours away from your home, you know, so I think that that's going to be kind of where they get their bread and butter. I like it. Blake, thanks so much, as always, for uh, doing the show here twice in a span of seven days. We appreciate the knowledge. Blake Alderman of Rivals.com, senior recruiting analyst. You'll hear more from him in the future on the podcast as well. Blake, thanks again. Oh, uh, yes. Thanks for having me. Alan, I want to hear what your grades are. I've had fun having you grade things all throughout the year. Uh, let's go ahead and put that cap back on and we'll start. I'm going to walk you through it. I'm also going to add some comments in, but really walk us through what you think. Let's start at the quarterback position. How do we do in this year's class? I'd have to say an A. I mean, Felipe Franks was one of the biggest um, you know, prospects in this class, a guy with a huge upside. And then Kyle Trask is an interesting guy because he's only a two-star, but you know, he didn't really ever start for his high school because he was behind another big-time prospect. So he could be a, just, he's just a huge sleeper. But I think this class is going to ultimately rise and fall on Franks. If three years from now he's, you know, a dominant 
collegiate passer, we're going to look back at this class and be like, that was a really important class for Florida. If he kind of busts out, I think that we'll look back and say, man, we missed out. Yeah, and my, my comments here are that we, we really needed to address this position, and we did as well as we could. We went hard after Eason. We stole Franks from LSU. We added depth with graduate transfers. We got a guy in Trask. We have four or five legitimate guys that can compete for the job. So definitely A there, probably even an A plus because we had to have that and we got it. So happy with that. Let's go to running back. I think this, I'll give this a B. Um, interesting guy in LaMichael Pirine. I believe that's how you say his name out of Alabama. Alabama came after him hard late. Um, and then Mark Thompson, the big, enormous juco running back who everyone just des- describes of how large he is i think those guys could be solid they they come in and fit we needed some help right away because we really only have two running backs on the roster and it seems like these guys can come in and contribute right away yeah it feels like we added if i think about the running back class that we got okay pure talent wise are the number one juco guy and then we kind of have an underrated guy at Alabama. maybe that's not an a or a plus but if you think about what we needed we we added a, a, a monster bruising back so now, much like an NFL team, we have two different styles of running backs, which which is nice. I think that's comforting for me. I'm going to give an A there because I think for the first time in a very long time at Florida, we have a legitimate running back stable. Now, we don't have anyone who's proven, which is why they also went out and got a Juco. At least we had a proven guy. But I like the potential of this position group. I like how they've recruited that. All right, wide receiver. This one, my personal favorite. I'll just just cheat right now and say incredible class but what do you got yeah i have to give this one an a uh, a ton of guys in it i think five and then you know was missing the headliner until tyree cleveland committed on signing day huge one we needed a huge overhaul at this position we're like really don't have anybody outside callaway that this coaching staff trust so they brought in a ton of guys Big win for this recruiting period. Huge, huge win. This is the best recruiting class in the for the receivers in the past like, 20 years, modern era, potentially. Four four stars. All these guys are college ready, ready to play. No one's a project. Love, love, love the wide receiver class. All right, let's talk about the offensive line. What do you got here? Uh, I'm going to go maybe B-. minus. Like the center, Brett Heggie a lot. The other guys, we'll see. You know, They needed added three guys that would have liked a fourth. Maybe a bigger time prospect, so we'll see how these guys turn out. Obviously, but doesn't doesn't wow you? Yeah, I feel like we missed here. You want to recruit elite linemen when you've recruited a million guys the year before, and none of these guys are elite. Flip side of that is, unlike Muschamp, we are recruiting guys that are big. Yeah, these guys aren't going to have to put on sixty five pounds to play. They are size ready, so I feel like a miss there. And it's hard to grade these guys sometimes, you know, unless you're just enormous freaks. I mean, there's filled with three-star offensive linemen that turn out to be great because it's just hard to evaluate these guys sometimes. Now, what about tight ends? We didn't sign anyone there. I don't know how you grade this, but what do you what do you think? So I'm going to have to go F. I think we really needed a tight end in this class. Now, we're young at the position, but we need some more bodies, and I was really surprised they didn't bring in a guy. Yeah, we've got some really talented guys on the roster. We could technically go a year without having a tight end, but I agree with you. It seems curious that we didn't sign anyone there. Let's switch over to defense now. Defensive end. So this has got to be the other spot probably where I'll give an A. Antonius Clayton, some, I mean, five-star in some places, a top-ten guy. Could be just a wrecking crew by his, like, first year. We'll see how he develops and whether he can get on the field quick enough. Um, some other guys that people like a lot, so um, I think I'll give an A there. Yeah, I like the defensive end class a lot. Very strong class. We needed that position of need for sure. 
defensive tackle. Right. So this is, we didn't take anyone here. No so one. I have to give an F. You know, had Shavar Manuel in the class for a little bit. You know, this is a place where they could afford to not have any. They were only, you know, really going to take one. But I think this is a spot you'd like to take at least one guy every year. Yeah, this hurt. This hurts me. I feel like our defensive tackle spot is weak on playmaking talent in general and low on numbers. We have five guys, I believe, on the roster generally, and I think you want like eight or ten. I mean, you, you look at Bama, maybe take 12. Who knows, yeah. right? You want to cycle them through. So I feel like that was a huge miss this year. We went after one, went after the best one. We didn't get him, but that that seems really frustrating that we, we kind of whiffed on that one there. Um, how about linebacker? I'll give this uh, B-. minus. You know, they took some guys who are interesting guys and could project to do really well. No home runs, no like five star, and this is a place where we needed a lot of bodies. I feel like they should have taken a fourth guy here, um, because just we're so thin. Uh, we have some good guys on campus, but that line is short. And if we have any injuries at this spot, these guys are gonna have to play right away. And I don't know that they're the type of guys who can do that. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like the defensive class was just sort of a, a curious one at most of the positions. I'm not. I don't want to say it's a sign for the future, but I, f- I definitely feel the way with linebacker. Could be good, but could have been better. All right, how about corners? This is interesting because it depends on how a couple of these guys shake out and what position they end up in. Uh, I'll go ahead and give this um, e, B minus, and maybe it would be lower except for Chauncey Gardner. Is going to, I think, play for us somewhere, whether that's nickel or safety or corner. The rest of the guys are just eh, seemingly at this point. You never know. Get them on campus, see what they do. But feels like we kind of missed a little bit. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of hope. If you read what people are writing, there's a lot of hope that like we found some hidden gems. And, and again, generally, only so many of those will work out. So it seems like a little bit of a quality miss compared to years in the past. I mean, that that's for sure. So we'll see how that pans out. How about safety? Again, probably similar. I'll, I'll give that a C+. There's some guys in there who could turn out well, but no elite guys. I know that people are saying that we've really gotten a guy that's our first true quote-unquote center fielder in a long time, which, of course, anyone listens to this podcast knows I will appreciate that. So hopefully that's true, and we get some guys who can really play coverage well. Um, it, it's really hard to project safeties yes. coming out of high school. And Maybe then, one of the hardest positions to project. Really. And you'll see guys who start at corner and move to safety and vice versa. So there's a lot of fluidity. They took a bunch of guys, which they needed to. They, we needed more bodies back there. So, especially with our early guys who are leaving for the NFL early this year and probably next year. And how about a spot that we're normally not that excited about, but just tons of enthusiasm? Love it. Kicker. Kicker. A++++. At least we hope, you know, everyone was in on the kicker getting recruited really hard. McElwain said he never recruited a kicker that hard. Obviously a huge void in our program. And if this guy turns out to be a star for us, it's going to be huge. It's kind of hysterical because, fun fact, you know, Eddie Pinheiro has never kicked a field goal in any game of any kind, <laughs> ever. Yes, but we're still very excited. <laughs> so he's got a great leg. He's got, quote, leg talent. But, uh, yeah, his first field goal ever will be this next year in pads. That's going to be exciting. Overall, what's the overall grade then? You know, if I'm going to – we've been asking everybody 1 to 10. Yep. I'll, they've said 7, and I want to say 7, too. Like a solid class, one that you're not going to hopefully be embarrassed by, but probably is not going to be transformative for your program. I think seven's right on the money. It's not It's not falling behind. And I had a lot of concerns about how McElwain would recruit. That was one of my primary concerns. 
And I feel like he answered the call and that he can recruit well. He can be very intelligent and systematic, which is what I love about him. He has not proven to us yet that he can nail the big fish, which is okay. He's a guy that's not you know from this area per se. He wasn't a flashy guy, so he's got time for that. But seven seems like the right score entirely. So with that, let's actually zoom out and talk a little bit about this class in the national scope. How did other teams do? How did other schools do? How did other coaches do? Like a guy like Harbaugh. Let's kind of get an idea, a little perspective on what's gone on. And for that, we'll bring in always one of our favorite guests, Amy Campbell. Let's welcome to the program for the second time this season, Amy Campbell. She's our good friend and recruiting analyst and host for Scout and Scout.com. Uh, yesterday, she had a big day, a 12-hour day on Signing Day Live, coupled with Sports Illustrated. Uh, Amy, welcome to the show. Good to have you back. Thanks for having me, guys. So let's just go ahead and talk about a storyline that's one of my favorites, and that is Jim Harbaugh and uh, and McIlwain and sort of the comparisons. They're both in year two. They both recruited. It's a national story. Tell me a little bit about how Harbaugh did, maybe what he's doing in recruiting that is uh, different than what McIlwain's doing, and then just talk a little bit about their styles in general and, and how each of them are getting or not getting results. Well, I think one of the big storylines from this signing day is Jim Harbaugh and his class. We spent so much time talking about it yesterday. Uh, of course, Rashawn Gary, the nation's number one prospect, five-star defensive tackle, ends up at Michigan. There was a little bit of some signing day drama that, or rumors that Clemson was possibly surging there with him, but uh, really he was Michigan's to lose for a long time, and uh, one of the reasons why is because his former high school coach at Paramus Catholic is now an assistant at Michigan, was hired by Jim Harbaugh just over a year ago. Um, and if you think that wasn't about getting Rashawn Gary, I mean, this, you know, he, he went so far as to hire this guy's coach a year in advance of his signing day. Um, of course, if you are on social media at all, some of the stuff you've seen is so entertaining and so exciting that Jim Harbaugh will stop at nothing uh, to – land these guys from climbing a tree to having sleepovers at prospect houses to this massive signing day event that they had at Michigan uh, on signing day with many celebrities, Ric Flair and Derek Jeter and all types of, all of the fanfare um, as guys are announcing and um, signing with Michigan. Um, We've never seen this before in recruiting. He's coming up with creative ways to, um, to get these kids and really it's it's evolving what we've seen on the recruiting trail it's so interesting you know a few years ago coaches were so secretive about what guys they were going to visit uh, because they didn't want other coaches to show up and swoop in and steal them and now you're seeing the exact opposite they're trying to come up with creative ways to publicize who they're going after and make these guys feel wanted of course landing gary was huge for them the class overall a great national class a lot of top prospects. He flipped a bunch of guys, and of course there was some controversy. Uh, they were clear on the deck a little bit there before signing day, guys decommitting or finding out maybe they weren't going to have scholarships at Michigan anymore to make room for some of those big dogs. And um, that that happens everywhere, and uh, so you know it's kind of a topic that makes some people uncomfortable. But I think another another thing with him is that having him in the Big Ten, having Urban Meyer in the Big Ten. Um, James Franklin in the Big Ten, Mark Antonio now, the way these guys have recruited and are continuing to recruit is bringing the level of the whole conference up, and we saw that on the field this year. 
Um, so it's it's really a lot of fun to watch. You know, high tide rise, raises all the boats. Was, that was one of the, the themes we talked about yesterday, and, and so he's really doing that in the conference and at Michigan. And um, even just going back to Gary a little bit, kind of a, a fun fact about how what a big deal this guy is. Um, one of my colleagues, Scott Kennedy, put together um, a story using Rashawn Gary's combine test or test numbers from the opening, so his 40 time, his vertical, all of those numbers, and compared them with uh, the last few years of guys at the NFL Combine. And Gary is right there today with guys already going to the next level. So that is just the indicator of what a, a player this guy is. Um, and to answer your question, to compare it to Jim McElwain, you know, both guys sign a, a top 10 class this year. I think anybody that follows these two, it, it's very clear they have very different personalities. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh is, is kind of this relentless, competitive um, uh, Pete Samuel put it best yesterday from Sports Illustrated. He said, you know, he's, he's just genuinely a strange guy. Like, he just does these strange things. And, uh, you know, he's he's very intense. He's definitely a winner. And uh, sometimes he wears out his welcome a little bit with his intensity. And the same things that are good about him are the same things that, um, you know, that are his weaknesses as well. So that's kind of interesting with him. And, and Mac, I think personality-wise, very different. Laid back, easygoing. But at the same time, like, you know, he'll he'll draw a line in the sand, too. And so I think recruits appreciate with him, too, that he is a straight shooter. He's honest with them. I, I think that he is a guy that they trust when he's in their living rooms, you know, telling them how how he's changing the program, what they're going to be doing there, and what kind of future they could have there. So two, two top ten classes for these guys in their second year. And, Amy, give us maybe a few other big National Signing Day storylines. What else was making news out there? Well, Alabama signed the number one class on, on Scout, and they it was, it was kind of funny. At the beginning of the day, we looked at the rankings. I believe they were at six or seven. They were not in the top five. And we were like, that's unusual for Nick Saban. And we're like, but, you know, this is Nick Saban. There's a lot of big guys out there that are announcing today that Bama's right in there with. So we were like, you did, like this, this class is going to be one that's going to surge up the rankings, and that's exactly what happened. They signed a number one class, a really impressive class from top to bottom, fill all of the needs. All of the guys that they're losing, they're reloading again. It's just it's unbelievably impressive what Nick Saban does. And another thing that's interesting to me is that one, two, and three is Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State on the scout uh, team recruiting rankings. The last three national champions are the top three on here. So one of the questions you hear a lot is, do these rankings really matter? You know, it's all about, isn't it about how you develop the guys? Do stars really matter? Are these people really know what they're looking at? Well, if you look at the last several national champions, they sign top five classes, like not every time, but pretty regularly if, if you look at it over time. So it's definitely a barometer, and no team wins a national championship without having a, a pretty solid recruiting ranking average. Um, so it's, it's definitely a good barometer there. But Alabama with the number one class, just an unbelievably impressive day for Nick Saban and company. Um, Auburn had a very solid day as well. They signed a couple of top guys out of Florida that um, Florida was originally in on. Javon Myers actually was a Florida commit. He and his brother, Nate Craig Myers, ended up at Auburn. They're sitting at number 12 on the team rankings there. They also got the number one prospect out of Georgia, five-star defensive tackle um, away from the Bulldogs. So Auburn you know, got, got into some of those other states and got some guys Georgia, a number nine class, Kirby Smart, a heck of a close for him, especially with guys. It must have been very interesting because some guys were choosing between Alabama and Georgia, and he was just recently telling them to come to Alabama and, and was able to get a lot of guys to end up at Georgia. He signed 20 guys with a nice number nine class. And then 
uh, LSU, they started the day at number one. They stayed there for a while. They signed our number four class and um, a really, really impressive class, especially in a year where Les Miles was nearly fired and he continues to go out and recruit and get these very impressive players. A lot of their guys are already on campus too, which is good for them. And uh, they signed 12 of the top 14 guys in state. Les Miles does not really lose guys out of Louisiana. So a solid day for him. And then Ole Miss to me, a huge storyline. They signed uh, the number five class, which is actually uh, one of the best classes that Hugh Freeze has ever had. If not the best, I'd have to go back and, and look specifically, but we Remember that year in 2013 where they signed uh, the top tackle, Laramie Tunsil, the top receiver, Laquan Treadwell, number one overall, Robert Kinvici, and how, what a splash that made. And this class is even better than that. We had Hugh Freeze on our show yesterday, too, and he said this is our most complete class ever at Ole Miss. A five-star quarterback, the number one offensive tackle, and just complete at every position. And it's funny now we expect that from Ole Miss, which was never kind of the standard before. So what Hugh Freeze has done there – is, uh, is pretty impressive. So a lot of SEC schools had really good days. And, uh, you know, looking at the top 10, it's one, two, three, four, five SEC schools in the top 10 on our scout rankings and uh, Auburn there at number 12. So really impressive for the conference. And so we know outside the conference, Texas and Charlie Strong had a huge day. And we're going to jump back into the, the conference and actually get some some sort of comparison thoughts to what Florida did. But just just briefly, how impressive was it with what Texas did, given that they came into the week kind of looking like maybe Charlie Strong was on the hot seat and his seat was about to eject him, and then they finished the week with like one of the greatest storylines of, of this recruiting year. To me, that was he was the he was the winner of signing day. If you're asking me who won signing day, I'm saying Charlie Strong. And we looked at it about a, I think it was a week ago. They had 13 guys in the class a week before signing day. And I was talking to some of my coworkers and we're like, this is really, really risky. And there were some big fish out there, but we've seen this before. You cannot leave all those lines in the water. Sometimes it totally fails. And again, you're, you put your fate in the hands of these 17 year old guys who have their heads spinning with all these coaches coming after them. So he of course signed 24 guys, a massive day yesterday. He flipped, a defensive end from LSU who I love, a Texas guy. And I'm looking over the commit list now. Overwhelmingly, most of these guys are from Texas. So did really well in state. And especially defensively, a lot of the big big dogs that they got are guys that will play on defense. There will be immediate impact guys that he beat out other schools for. And top safety, Brandon Jones, being the headliner of this group. Um, and also I'm just going to say a couple of great names in here, Deandre Christmas Giles and my favorite name of 2016, Lil Jordan Humphrey. Um, so a great, a great class for Charlie Strong, but it's especially interesting too, because you know, he, he needed, he needed this. Like he ha- was on the hot seat, especially with their team's performance last season and, and will still be, but if this class doesn't, you know, you have two really two years to get your your uh, your classes in and that production on the field. And so he really needed to have a good day yesterday. It was make or break for him, and we need to see now that translate to the field. But he has got some dogs on this class and had a great class last year. So if they can turn that into production on the field, which all the pieces are there for him to do so, um, you know, to me he was the big winner of signing day. So, you know, Charlie Strong, his second class, he really needed this. And it felt like, you know, Jim McElwain really needed, 
you know, a big time class, you know, was in the top 10, but as it stacks up against the rest of the SEC East, it was it a good enough class in that sense. I think so. I think anytime you have a top 10 class, you have to be happy. And, and looking at, you know, the SEC East, again, I'm looking at the rankings just for some context. Uh, Georgia is number nine. So Georgia, Florida, nine and 10, and the rest of the East is uh, not in the top 10. Um, so second best class in the SEC East. But, and, you know, when you're talking nine and 10, that's not, a, that's not a big difference. So um, those two are absolutely comparable. I think they find a great class. And of course, I think, People were disappointed that Shavar Manuel, the defensive tackle, didn't end up in the class. And I, to that I would have said, um, I, I don't know if he really ever was going to end up there. I think Florida State um, was kind of the trending school with him for a long time. It was kind of a surprise when he committed to Florida in the in the first place. And um, another another thing to watch, you know, with all with all of these guys, is who actually makes it to campus, right? Who actually gets into the school? Um, so that's that's something to follow there. But to me, you know, the head it's a very complete class. He needed to address his needs. I think he absolutely did that. And I think one guy to be really excited about is Tyree Cleveland, the receiver that flipped from Houston. Um, he he would be the number one receiver in the class if it weren't for some potential off the field questions more than anything. Um, but just an absolute freak of, of a talent. I got to see him at the Under Armour game. He was my favorite receiver there. Really impressive. He can do it all. He's tall. Uh, it's physical, and I think Florida has a lot to look forward to from having him there. Just a, a must-get. But, you know, Felipe Franks, too, the, the quarterback situation we saw last year. You know, James, I know you had a, a lot of thoughts about that. Um, the, Florida needed a, a good quarterback. And, and Franks, having him there for spring will be good. He's very raw. He'll compete. He'll help that quarterback competition. But it's not just him. They have another guy, Kyle Trask, who's – you know, two-star on our site, so I don't know if people are paying much attention to him, but a guy that they really liked out of Manville, Texas. It was kind of a surprise when he committed, but, um, you know, he's a guy that Jim McElwain really liked and, and wanted and, and made him a priority. So uh, another guy that will add to that competition that maybe people aren't talking about. So I can go down, of course, the, the list of these guys and, and, you know, mention who stands out to me. They got some great JUCO guys, five-star JUCO running back. Uh, Chauncey Gardner, a uh, very impressive safety already on campus. He's very physical. He's a lot of fun to watch. If I ever um, gave an award to, you know, which prospect I've covered that talks the most, I would give it to Chauncey Gardner. Um, so, uh, and a- Anthony Clayton, also another guy that I, I love, uh, incredibly disruptive, definitely a, a, win- a winner, just, just a hungry, a hungry guy, the kind of dog you want on your defense. So, of course, I can go down this class and say what, what I think and what I like about all these guys. Those are some, uh, to me, the headliners based on who I've seen in person and, and watch film. Um, but I think it's a great class. I think he absolutely needed certain uh, positions to be filled, and I think he did just that. And anytime you have a top 10 class, you have to be happy. So we know that in year two, he has a number 10 class. We know last year he was like 26, and this is obviously just on on scout. For those listening right now, we're referencing only the scout ratings. And we'll talk later in the show, obviously, about some other ratings that are out there. But for right now, we're on scout. So Kirby Smart essentially, quote-unquote, beats him in year one. Where where numerically on scout did Will Muschamp with a short recruiting class fall and, you know, uh, Butch Jones at Tennessee? Where did he fall? Where are those guys? Are they significantly behind? Are they in the top 25? Where did scout have them? Tennessee had a decent year, and they are at 17. So they did pretty well, and they had a good signing day. They got a couple of, a ni- they got a couple of nice prospects on signing day. South Carolina's at 26, so just barely on the outside of that 
top 25. They signed 26 guys. And I think that that has to be considered a victory, especially some of the guys that they ended up getting on signing day. And you mentioned it's so hard that first year, um, you know, that a coach is recruiting. And keep in mind, South Carolina is not an easy place to recruit to. Florida is a much easier place to recruit to. Um, You have to go more outside of the state. And they're competing now with Clemson for people in that area. So not an easy place to recruit to. I think um, one of the big winners that Will Muschamp has is he's got a four-star quarterback, Brandon McElwain, who's a, a good quarterback prospect and a guy that he can really build an offense around in the future. So I think it's, it's a solid class that has to be considered a win, given that it's not easy to recruit at South Carolina and that it is his first year there and he didn't have a lot of time to put it together. So I think that does have to be considered a win for him too. I like Tennessee's class a lot. I think there's going to be some guys in there that we're talking about for a while. They have a really nice receiver prospect that I believe is from Georgia. Mark, Marquez Calloway. Yeah. Out of Warner Robins, Georgia. Um, they flipped a, a Miami commit who actually was originally committed to Florida way back when Tyler bird um, way back when a Florida commit and then Tennessee lands five-star safety, Nigel warrior out of Georgia, really impressive guy Auburn was in the mix for him and a five-star Juco defensive end with another name I love in this class Jonathan Kongbo um so and that guy will be an immediate impact guy so I think Tennessee um Butch Jones definitely should be pretty happy with this class so the SEC East obviously significantly inferior to the SEC West with regards to the current recruiting situation it's sort of like a second tier scenario and then you've got a lot of Gator fans right now that are split and we're going to ask the same question to Blake later in the show um, the Gator class it seems to be either a love it or hate it kind of class. And it sounds like to me that you are on the like it or possibly love it side. So give me a rating on a scale of one to 10 of how much you like this Gators class. On a scale of one to 10, I will say it's a seven. I think it's, it's better than vanilla. It's better than neutral. Um, it's a good class. Is it a great class? Is it this? Wow. Like we are making a splash. Uh, from top to bottom, no. I think there are prospects in here that I look at and I say, wow, awesome. And then there are prospects in here that I say, okay, you met your need. Um, how will they develop? That'll be what's interesting. But another thing that, that I am interested to see with McIlwain is, is what he does with these guys because he was known as a guy that really developed his talent well at Colorado State. What he was able to do there with the guys he could get there he developed them incredibly well. And even last year, what we saw with the offense and um, how how quickly some of these athletes that, that were not doing simple things on the field, how quickly they learned to run routes better and learn to do the dirty work more and, and those little details, um, what he was able to do with his team in just a year, I think he is a guy that does develop his players really well too. So some of these guys, you know, you may say, okay, um, you know, good athlete, is it this five-star splash? No. But do you meet your need? Yes. Is it enough? Yes. And I, and I think they needed depth at a lot of positions because of what was already there. And so him, it's going to take him some time to get his guys in there. I think Florida fans, you know, you say, I'm not going to say be patient, but I think you need to be happy because you don't know how this class is going to develop. And there are some immediate impact guys in this class, guys that I mentioned earlier that I think people can get really excited about. Another guy I didn't even mention, too, safety, Jaywan Taylor, there was a lot of talk that he was going to end up flipping and he stuck with Florida. So I think four-star safety out of Alabama, you know, it's, it's good when Florida can go into Alabama and get a guy and, and compete with the Crimson Tide and with, with Georgia for him. It was looking like Georgia may end up with him, Kirby Smart. So, you know, going head-to-head with Kirby on an Alabama guy, 
um, you know, Florida won that battle too. So I think Florida fans have to be patient and happy with this class and, and we'll, we'll see what he does with it. So lastly, a little bit of controversy with Arkansas coach Brett Bielema making some <laughs> comments about Jim McElwain and kind of Ole Miss as well. Uh, what was the, what was all that about? Is there anything to that? Oh my goodness. Uh, that was, that was hilarious. Um, from my understanding, uh, we, and we're sitting on the air and looking at the quote and just, and just laughing. I mean, you know, Brett Bielema will just, will just throw these verbal darts and, and it's like, it kind of is like, why would you say that? And then it's also hilarious. Um, Florida gets Tyree Cleveland, this receiver out of Houston that Arkansas also was really after. And that was, that was, he was committed to Houston, but it was an Arkansas Florida battle. And so I think it was about that. You know, Brett Bielema said something like, you know, Florida, they're doing things you wouldn't believe. They're kind of like the new old Miss. Um, whether that means, wow, you wouldn't believe they're getting these guys like Ole Miss got Robert Kambichi, or whether it means, how do we think Ole Miss ended up with Robert Kambichi and Laquan Treadwell? And how do we think they got him? Uh, you know, is Florida, was he accusing Florida of doing some shady recruiting stuff? Now, everybody does shady recruiting stuff, but, you know, what for how shady and what that means, who knows? Um, so, of course, McElwain really did not like that. You know, he had some strong words about, you know, just, you know, towards Bilma not not knowing, you know, who he is. And, you know, we, we do things the right way here at Florida. And um, I think that's, that's important to McElwain. But I, I thought it was hilarious. You know, Brett Bilma taking shots and and if he can back it up that's the question you know that's that's the borderline between like are you funny or are you pathetic like are you going to win so you can say that stuff if you're winning if you're going to lose to Toledo maybe you should keep your mouth shut but if I'm an Arkansas fan I think it's great to have a coach that's a little bit fiery and that's going to stand up for the school but um we had Hugh Freeze on yesterday and he said that uh, Brett he had just gotten off the phone with Brett and he called to tell him that, you know, that a lot was made about a comment he made and he was trying to give Ole Miss a compliment. So whether or not that's true, you know, you, you can decide. Um, you know, I didn't actually hear Brett say it, so maybe it's in the in the context of that conversation too. But I I mean I think you meant what he said. <laughs> Just kind of funny. All right. Well, Amy, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. That's Amy Campbell, recruiting analyst and host. For Scout, really starscout.com, I would say. Um, Amy, thanks for being on today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. All right, so let's wrap this segment up by talking about the spring storylines and then finishing with a little basketball. In the spring, we've got quarterback, early enrollees, and a kicker. Those are the three things I'll be watching. What should we be looking for? Yeah, I think those are the three most important storylines. So if you don't know that the the team is allowed to hold 15 practices and they usually end in a, a spring game, kind of an exhibition, just a reward for the players. The fans come out to it and that's going to be on April 8th. So those will be sometime before that. Yeah. I think, you know, kind of the important storylines are the, is the QB competition, you know, who's going to emerge the leader. Will we have a leader heading into fall? Is someone going to grab hold of that position? Will it be Luke Del Rio, Felipe Franks, you know, Appleby, the graduate transfer from Purdue, is any of those guys going to really like step forward and be you know the lead guy, or we're going to have a whole summer of quarterback controversy? And then of course the early enrollees, got a bunch of these guys on campus, like we said. How do these guys do? How do they adjust? Do they have a big spring? What about you? Yeah, those are those are the storylines that we'll all be watching. It'll be spring practices are always tough. You'll get reports. Everyone looks amazing. Everything's great. Then you go to the orange and blue game 
which will be April 8th, Friday evening, April 8th, first time ever that's happened. And you'll watch a glorified scrimmage. You can't know anything, really, per se. You can see some things in these games, though. I remember watching Driscoll pass early on and thinking, hmm, not so sure about what's going on with that. I remember watching John Brantley pass and thinking, this guy's a hero. So, again, you can't <laughs> you can't really take a lot away yeah. from it. But I think that um, we'll at least take the fact that there'll be a lot of quarterbacks that probably can move the offense. So it'll be unique for Gator fans because I imagine they're going to have a scrimmage set up where all of these guys get a chance to throw the ball around, which will be nice, and we'll get to watch Pinheiro kick some field goals. I'm sure they'll build in a way for that to happen, which will be nice. And then in a sort of news and notes segment that's in a spring storyline is we hired Torian Gray from Virginia Tech to be our DB coach, replacing Callahan, which I think is a solid hire. He's one of the longest tenured cornerbacks coach in the country. So we get a guy with, guys yeah, produced a first-round pick, um, produced nine guys in the NFL. So he's a guy that I think can really help our defensive backfield that I think underachieved last year. So that'll be nice. It'll be kind of fun to hear what we hear coming out of the defensive back camp right. as we progress through spring. So overall, I think just knowing that spring is an important time for a football team, they're going to basically set the structure for the summer and like a chance to install more of the program and more of the offense and the defensive playbooks. So uh, even though it seems like just they're out there practicing, it's an important time in the life of a college football program. So hopefully that goes well for the team. Uh, let's talk a little basketball. Uh, kind of a nice little run here by our Gator basketball team. It's been a little fun. You know, sandwiched around a debacle at Vanderbilt. But other than that, scoring a lot of points out of nowhere. Yeah, this team is so volatile. I mean, <laughs> you just you don't know what's going to happen. And I can tell you that I did not think we were going to be scoring five of our last six games above 80 points. That's amazing. I mean, Billy's teams weren't doing that. No, it's unreal. We talked about it before the season. We kind of had a little preview, and it was like, oh, you know, this team's going to have a hard time scoring. They're going to play good defense. They're athletic. I don't know how they're going to score points because they can't shoot, which is more or less true. We still can't shoot that well. But Mike White's really got these guys to play into his system with the up-tempo, shoot the ball very quickly in the shot clock scenario. And I want to I want to say two things that have led to this output from the team. One is Chioza's play as a point guard. The guy every single game seems to quantum leap forward, does not turn the ball over, is getting very good at generating shots in the offense. And then the incredibly steady presence of DFS. Yeah. I mean, what that guy has legitimately taken a massive step forward as a leader, as a consistent player, as the heart of the team. And in college basketball, maybe more so than any other college sport, you have to have that guy that keeps your team afloat, steady, playing intense. And he's that guy. Yeah. Like He forces these guys to raise their level of play. So it's been fun to watch this team. I don't know what we can do. Obviously, it looks like we're going to make the tournament right now. Keep your fingers crossed. Anything could fall apart at any time. But this game against Kentucky this weekend is, is going to be really interesting. Kentucky is a team that is super schizophrenic as well. This will be an interesting game for us. It'll be a test. And, I, you know, this was... It's been fun. You're right. You remove Dodo, DFS, Dorian Finney-Smith, whatever you want to call them. And this is like, you know, overall like a 12-win team on the year. Like, just brutal. So he's been huge. And if we get a couple of these guys going, it's funny. We had that one game from Brandon Francis Ramirez where he finally hit some threes. Apparently he hits them in practice. He was shooting at like a 13% clip overall you know, coming into that game. Uh, so if we can get some of these guys going, we keep requesting the presence of Alex Murphy if he ever get healthy. You know, I, watching us dismantle West Virginia, there's not a team in the country that we can't beat. There's no dominant team out there. So that makes for a fun tournament go. I mean, this team is probably too volatile to make any kind of lengthy run. But 
they're not out of any game, and that's a good place to be for them. No, we're starting to find a nice roster. The less that Casey Hill gets minutes, uh, the better it seems to be for the team in general because it means a guy like like Francis Ramirez is getting playing time and he can shoot, which helps balance the floor. Yeah. And, you know, Casey's just sort of been a turnover machine. But it, our biggest problem is really going to be whether or not Ingunu can play games without getting in foul trouble. Exactly. Because when he does the wheels sort of fall off because you bring in Hayes or you bring in Rimmer and those guys are doing an admirable job. I mean, they're playing hard, but <laughs> you, you sort of just stop scoring entirely. Uh, all that being said so far, pretty nice job from Mike White. It's a fun team to watch. I mean, it, it's a, it's an interesting style to play and it's very different than what we've seen with sort of the, the last few Billy years, uh, very different style of play. And it, it's working right now and, and it's fun. It's been a good time. Uh, looking forward to this Kentucky game. We'll see how we do. Well, that'll end this episode for us. We're going to return April 8th. No, excuse me. After April 8th, which is the spring game, we're going to return April 11th, which is a Monday. So a little post-spring practice, post-orange and blue game discussion, where we headed into the spring, the rest of the spring into the summer. So look forward to that. We'll keep you up to date. Thanks, as always, for listening. Really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants.